Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yeah. How you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah. Doing all right. Yeah. You're a little sleepy, I noticed. Oh, I had I just I just ate a calzone. Yeah. Yeah, those are I mean, even though it was a it was a is a vegetable calzone, it's still still heavy. Yeah, it's a heavy it's a heavy dinner. Yeah, it's got the the cheese in there. Yeah. It's got the Sauce. the whole bundle. The whole thing is just a big, you know, it's all wrapped in carbs, you yeah. know. No meat though. And starch. No, not not this not time. This time, no. Okay. Um, oh, jeez. But I'm also. I, I think I need a nap too at this point. Uh, I'm also in a good mood because uh, before I forget, I want to mention that you can go over to CriterionCast dot com or right. find the CriterionCast on iTunes and the most recent episode uh, in which uh, they discuss Nicholas Rogue's walkabout. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am the guest. You sure are. And uh, I I think I did all right. And uh, keep an eye out, because in a couple weeks, I will also be on there to discuss Martin Scorsese's uh, The Last Temptation of Christ. All right. So, very exciting. So, what's going on in your, in your brain? David, what, what isn't? You know, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, up, I'm, I'm up nights, you know, just thinking about these things. Um, first things first, uh, this has nothing to do with what I was about to say, but I wanted to, uh, to re- you know, put everybody's uh, minds at ease and say that... Uh, I have finally, at long last, seen a second Kurosawa film. Oh, yeah? I saw Throne of Blood. Which I haven't seen. In, and, man, it is wonderful. Oh, good. As one would expect, but uh, it's, it's Kurosawa's version of Macbeth, and uh, it's, it's really haunting and really, uh, just really wonderful uh, with what I would venture to say. Um, David, I wish I had seen this movie when you and I talked about the most awesome death scenes. Really? Because it has one of the best death scenes I've ever seen in film. It's really, uh, really wonderful, and and I'm just uh, I'm charged up now. I want to I want to go and see Hidden Fortress and uh, Ron and Yojimbo and uh, S- uh, Seven Samurai. I want to see them all, David. Okay, this will probably be the only one I see for another se- uh, several years. <laughs> but uh, but that's uh, so. I just wanted to you know calm everybody down. People got a little a uh, little heated when I mentioned. On the video that we had, I had only seen one, so I want to say uh, I've doubled the number <laughs> of uh, Kurosawa films I've seen. But that's not what I wanted to talk about, David. What do you want to talk about? I'll tell you what I want to talk about. Just calm down, all right? Just, <laughs> You're right. Okay. Excuse <laughs> Take me. Take it easy. <laughs> Take it easy. <laughs> um, so, uh, David, as you know, uh, from time to time, uh, I will uh, re. I will uh, what's called. I will cover a script. Uh, for mm-hmm. a producer, uh, which is say he sends me a script, I will read it, summarize it, and say what I think of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's it's a it's neat work. Uh, we talked about it with uh, Pilar uh, Alessandra. I've covered uh, scripts for a while now, and um, most of them are very very bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this most recent <laughs> slate of scripts that I covered were were very good. But there was one, and I can't give the details about it. Sure, um, of course, understandable. But it takes place uh, several hundred years ago. And uh, and it's a it's a script that's kind of clever in, in a galaxy far far away. No, it's here. Okay, it's on a different continent. It's in Europe. But you know, how do you know it's actually in our galaxy though? It could take place in another galaxy identical to ours. Well, I will say this: it was not written by Rod Serling. Okay, so I think that's how you know. Um, but the uh, the I remember I remember a long time ago listening to Never Not Funny. And a uh, friend of the show... Very popular podcast. Indeed it is, yes. Why do you have to say that? <laughs> yes, they're more popular than we are. <laughs> but we try to match their popularity by taking all their guests. Um, but friend of the show, Matt oh, Belknap... They've taken some guests from us. They sure have. Kirkman. So, um, and another one. I don't recall who the other one is. Paul Rust? Paul Rust, that's right. We had him first. Yeah. Poachers. <laughs> and one could say Mike Schmidt, sort of. Um, anyway... Uh, so, but a friend of the show, Matt Belknap, uh, commented that there's a kind of humor that he re- that is like his least favorite kind of humor, and this script was rife with that. And basically, it's when because the the film is kind of a comedy, it it takes place, you know, uh, uh, hundreds of years ago, but it's still it's well, kind you of say hundred years ago. Where where does it? Where and when? Uh, around the year sixteen hundred. Were you just trying to be around the year sixteen hundred? I can say that, oh, okay. and it's in uh, it's in Europe. I wanted to know these things, and I realized that uh, there's a reason you're being vague. Right? Yes, uh, sixteen hundred. <laughs> I think I can say that, and it takes place in Europe. Um, but it's it's kind of clever, and it's kind of anachronistic at times. What? The Black Death. The Black Death. That's the title of the script. Did I forward this to you? <laughs> anyway, 
It's uh, yeah, it's, it's a clever anachronistic comedy called uh, the Black Death. Um, but anyway, uh, so as I said, it's kind of clever and 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 it it there's a lot of anachronistic things in there, and that's fine. That doesn't bother me. But there's this there's these things where this one character keeps coming up with like ideas, like uh, the idea for a gun. Or the idea for a cigarette. I might be being too specific at this point. But a few things here and there. Like modern... Cigarettes aren't that modern. But modern inventions. Things we use today. Uh, So she creates them uh, just, you know, in conversation. She'll be like, oh, you should just do this. And then uh, invariably someone else will say like, no, that's dumb. Or uh, that'll never work. Or like, oh, that name will never stick. And uh, and it's one of those things where it's just like you're talking about the the classic example is Titanic. Titanic when, when, with uh, Billy Zane talking about a uh, Picasso. Uh, Picasso, I yeah, uh, yeah. I'll never amount to anything or something like that. Yeah, mark my words, <laughs> you'll never amount to anything. And uh, and so, <laughs> how much fun must he have had playing that role? <laughs> uh, probably as much fun as people have making fun of that role. Um, <laughs> but the uh, so the reason that that bothers me is not is. First off, from a comedy standpoint, it's just very cheap and easy. Um, but also, I feel like this is where I might be getting a little lofty. I feel like it just inherently reinforces a stupid tendency in people, which is to look at the past where they have twenty twenty hindsight and zero foresight. Uh-huh. Where literally they just think back, it's just like, ha I'm laughing because they don't know something that I know, because they aren't me. Right. Um, and basically it's a laughter that comes from the realization that, uh, that ah, we are as good as we've ever been, yeah. and this uh, is as good as we'll ever be. I and hope, it's just yeah, like, and I hope that's not true. Well, exactly. But it's one of those things where it's just, it, it reinforces this idea of, uh, it's, it's like I said. It's very easy. It's just people laughing because ah, I know something, and I'm different than them, and I am now better. And meanwhile, if I read an article uh, that was written in the mid '90s, uh, I don't recall. I think it was for Newsweek, in which a guy wrote about how e-commerce will never take, uh-huh. and uh, people, you know, getting uh, all kinds of things, goods and services over the internet. Uh, it's just not going to work. People like going out. They like mm-hmm. going to stores and shopping for things. It's never going to work. And, of course, years, meanwhile, years later, you think like, oh, geez, that was way off. But at the same time, in the moment, he that was something that he felt. And so we kind of laugh at that now. But creating a car- like creating a situation in which somebody says something that we know now yeah. and then someone else says no – like it's just so it's it doesn't even have the benefit of being of the time, yeah. And and we're like, oh well, I guess we're all kind of naive about this. And it's not even really a joke. No, not really. Se. It's yeah, it's, yeah. It just comes from this the smugness you're talking. Yeah, about. yeah. And uh, and that's that was really all I wanted to talk about is it's just uh, you know, you and I will sometimes we have a lot of comedians on and and we'll talk about you know uh, types of comedy that we don't care for, or don't respond to, and. Uh, and this is one that I, I didn't really think about, but the minute I read it over and over and over again, uh-huh. I was just like, ugh, now I know what they're talking about. You know, all of a sudden, Billy Zane and Titanic looks subtle. <laughs> very, very subtle. But um, but that, and then, uh, so that that was primarily what I wanted to talk about because it really uh, was in the forefront of my brain. Um, and then the other thing, I'm late to this party. Uh, have you been? Have you seen any of these uh, reviews uh, f- uh, from Red Letter Media, in which uh, this guy, it's basically YouTube videos in which this guy uh, reviewed uh, the Phantom Menace oh, and Attack yes. of the Clones. Okay. I didn't didn't know the name Red Letter Media. Okay. But yes, I've heard all. I've well, I won't. I don't. They are to watch them. They are a delight. Um, <clears throat> really? Absolutely, because it's just a really strong. Because uh, basically, this guy creates a character of a. Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs type of person who, when he's not slaughtering people, he's doing internet movie reviews. <laughs> and it's very, very funny because the two will will work together. And the voice is, is pretty spot on. And he just knows, like, oh, it does get really creepy at times. And uh, and he he recently he did one uh, for Avatar. 
and uh, he talked about uh, it was supposed to come out in the summer, and instead they bumped it to winter when there would be less uh, competition. And uh, the same thing happened with Titanic. And he's like, well, you know, actually, if I uh, think in my basement, I've got an old promotional popcorn bucket. And uh, and so he goes, let's go down to my basement. And so then it, the camera goes down to his basement and he looks up on a shelf. And sure enough, there's a, you know, tit- a promotional Titanic popcorn bucket. And it says coming this summer. And he goes, no, he goes, there, see, coming this summer. Hey, what's inside here? And it's like full of bones and a skull. And he goes. Get out of my popcorn bucket! And he, and he throws it across the room, and it's just the just this ridiculous thing. But it's done with such commitment that uh, it is it is a load of fun. And I like oh, I said, wow. I'm like the ten millionth person to have heard about this. But uh, it's one of those internet, internet phenomenons that really does deserve uh, a look. So huh. funny stuff. Now, have you heard of this piano playing cat? No, what's his name? <laughs> Mittens, I have to assume something I like I that. I don't know. Oh, okay. Does he? Uh, who cares? <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, so that was all I wanted to talk about, David. Uh, I'm sorry. I've, I've. Uh, it's just been all this information coming into me, David, and I needed to share it with you and the listeners. Okay. Whew! I'm exhausted. Yeah, let's uh, let's just call it quits. All right. I think if you take what we've recorded now and what we recorded last week, I think it comes out to a full episode yeah. this week. So, so um before we get into it. Yeah. Let's 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 talk about the uh the do- donation drive. Right. Which I mean the day as of the time we're recording this. Yeah. It is April 15th. It, it is. is tax day. Tax day. But it is it is halfway through April. That's right. That means there's only about 15 days, just north of two weeks left, until the donation drive is over. So you've got that much time (laughs) to get your donations in. (laughs) What have I done? Just north of two weeks. That uh, ah, that took me by surprise, David. That really... Well, thank you. Um, So here's how it works, if you guys uh, haven't been listening in the past... um, before the end of April, you donate $5 or more. We'll take more. Absolutely. Your money spends. We will take as much of it as you want. Indeed. You want to give us. But uh, $5 or more gets your name in the running for some awesome prizes. We'll get to the prizes in a second. Yeah. But if you sign up, instead of the fi- $5, if you mm-hmm. if you sign up for a uh, donation subscription. Mm-hmm. Now, what, what that is, before I finish this, you know, uh, open parenthesis. Uh, wow. <laughs> Um, that is you. You give you give PayPal your your PayPal account or a credit card number, bank account, whatever you know. What have you? What have you? You don't have to have a PayPal account to do it. Yeah. Um. And for one year, that's mm-hmm. twelve months. Yep. Uh, it takes out two dollars a month. Yeah. Seriously, seriously, you don't even feel it. You don't even feel it. Uh, and uh, and and that, and if 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 you do close parenthesis, if you do that, thank you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the entire rest of the show would have been like a side part. <laughs> um, if you do that, your name gets entered twice for the awesome packages. That's right. And uh, there's going to be there's going to be three packages like last yeah. time. One uh, CDs. Yeah. One DVDs. Yeah. And one Battleship Pretension merch. Yeah. Uh, short uh, for merchandise. Which will that include a Let's Get Into It Shall We T-shirt? It will. Yes. Absolutely. Right. We've been people have been asking. Yeah. One person primarily, but we've gotten no, it from a couple. Multiple people have asked. For okay, that. yeah. One person asked for a battleship. Battleship attention does not kowtow to the blanks uh, T-shirt. Really? But that's just one person. Can, okay. Yeah, he can sorry, design he can that himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, just get a marker and a white shirt. Okay, <laughs> right. just, it's fine. Okay. Um, now we've been kind of remiss about saying what the prizes are because we weren't a hundred percent sure. But now we're we're ca- we're putting a cap on it. Yeah. We know what the prize packages are going to look CDs. like. Five CDs. Or four DVDs. Or four DVDs. Or a grab bag of merch. A grab bag of merch, which you will determine later on. Uh, I will? Uh, no, the listener. I'm sorry. Uh, whoever, oh. the lucky listener who uh, doesn't get these other two packages. Um, <laughs> all right. So as far as the CDs go, here we go. You will get Graham Elwood's uh, new album, The Comedian's Got a Boo-Boo. Okay. You will get a signed copy of Kyle Kinane's new album, Death of the Party. Yeah. You will get a signed copy of Jackie Cation's uh, new album. Uh, 
Yeah, it's. I guess it's a year old, but it's it's her newest it's album. Newest album. Yeah, the name of which I don't recall. It's something to the <laughs> effect of uh, "It's never going to be bread." Okay. Okay. Uh, you will get a copy of Sean Cullen's uh, newish album, uh, I Am a Human Man. And then you will get a copy of uh, Paul Rust's uh, band, uh, Don't Stop or We'll Die. It's Yeah, Paul Rust on bass and vocals. Yeah. Uh, Michael Cassidy on piano and vocals. And yeah. Harris Whittles on drums and occasionally vocals. Absolutely. I saw him at Target the other day, but I didn't have a card with me, unfortunately. Oh. Um now, as far as the DVDs go, now we've already we talked about. Well, this. that's a good package right there. That's a great package. That's fun. Now that that last one was not originally intended. You kind of just realized you had an extra copy. Yeah, Paul was nice Paul, enough. Paul gave us a bunch. Yeah, he gave gave us a bunch. Uh, they were all. We, we gave in my one closet. away last time. Yeah, I gave yeah. one to you. Yeah, I, I kept one. Yeah, I still listen to it. Yeah, on the reg. It, it's surprisingly good music because yeah. though it is though it is funny, uh-huh. it's. It's also quite musically pleasing to the ear. Oh yeah, um, which one would not expect? You know, you don't expect Paul Roy, uh, Paul Russ's Paul Rust's voice to be pleasant because mm-hmm. uh, he's got kind of a high pitched voice, but he's really good. Yeah, yeah. Have you heard uh, the Glass Beef? It's him, no, him I haven't. And That's him and, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, it's it's a great CD, and all of them are. I really like. Uh, we gotta uh, get her on the show, Charlene Yee. Yeah, there was talk of it for a while. Oh, no, it came within days of happening. Gah, stupid. Scheduling errors. Is that what it was? Uh, she was promoting um, her movie. Paper Heart. Paper Heart. Yes. At the time, and so ended up going to New York at the last minute. Okay. So, All right. Uh, as far as the DVD package, there's uh, oh, Fanta- the Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, signed by Doug Jones, who plays the Silver Surfer. There is the Greg Helvey-directed Academy Award-nominated short film, Kavi, which will also be autographed by the director. There is the uh, the horror film Behind the Mask, signed by star Nathan Basil. Right. And then there is the, the first season, or first volume, I think, uh, of Pinky and the Brain, uh, featuring Maurice LaMarche. I'm going to see what I can do to get it signed. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a busy guy. He's a, an insanely busy yeah, person. Go look at his IMDb page. Right now, Tyler. Look at it. <laughs> it's very, he's very busy. I, 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 we're recording. Are you David. looking at it? Yes. Am There's I right? a lot of things here. Yeah. Yes, um, but uh, <laughs> I imagine a lot of stuff uh, in production. Absolutely, a lot of stuff that's announced. Yeah, uh, pre-production. Yeah, look at all these things he's directing. <laughs> um, that's not true. I'm not. I, I, we don't have it pulled up. Wait, um, he wrote the Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, didn't you know that? <laughs> no, I, I didn't know that. <laughs> it was under the pen name Joe Esterhaus. Um <laughs> But uh, that's a that's a reference to uh, last week. Um, anyway, so, uh, so yeah, a lot of good packages here, uh, and, uh, David explained how you can, uh, how you can go and, and, uh, get entered into the raffle, and you can go to our don our, our donation drive page on the website and, uh, find all the information there. So, uh, enough of that, David. Let's move on. Let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Speaking of that. That's the phrase from the popular t-shirt I've been hearing so much about. Speaking of that, I let it slip on, on my other podcast previously on the yeah. other day, and I felt bad. Let what slip? I said, let's get into it, shall we? But I, mean, I just want to make it clear that that's, it's not like we sat down and said, let's write ourselves some catchphrases. Right, right. I said that in the first episode because that's the type of thing I say. It sure is. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to apologize to you because I know you haven't listened to the new episode, new previously on yet. Yeah. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I, I said, let's get into it, shall we? Well, I've got a confession to make. On my other show, uh, More Than One Lesson, uh-huh. Um. Now, of course, it's just me by myself, so I can edit things out if I need to, um, and it doesn't affect anybody else. But uh, there have been a couple of times where I go, hello, at the beginning. I'm like, oh, wait, that's that's something else. And uh, so, yeah, there you go. Hello, and welcome aboard the More Than One Lesson, <laughs> Chip. <laughs> David, wait. Something. <laughs> and then I got to go lie down. But uh, so, David. Right, are we into it? We are into it, I think. Okay, yeah. Close parentheses. <laughs> now, um, all right, yeah, this topic was my idea. Yeah. And yet you have more notes than I do, but uh, I've been thinking about this for a while. Yeah. And uh, he- here's here's how it happened. Okay. Uh, I started thinking about this in in earnest a couple years ago when I saw Juno. Okay. Um, because, of, you know, of, of, of all the things that, and I would have to say this is probably the only earnestness associated with Juno. 
But of all the things in Juno that made me want to avert my eyes and plug up my ears, okay, uh, the worst offender, okay, is uh, there's a couple actually examples of it. But I'll, I'll pick one scene in particular where they're talking about uh, uh, Dario Argento and like Italian gory horror films, right? Um, and I found it so annoying because uh, for a couple reasons, okay. I, d- I feel it, it it really like a lot of stuff in Juno feels like the voice of the screenwriter not the character right uh and also because no that's not an area of particular expertise for me right but it does read like someone like as if Diablo Cody sort of just recently found out about this and, and thinks she knows more than she does okay and so and I and I realized that um it happens. It happens often in movies where people are fans of things, and it's it's dicey, you yeah. know, because a lot of times it just feels like the voice of the screenwriter, yeah. you know, or it's something that like that person wouldn't really be into, or it's a shorthand, yeah. you know, like uh, like uh, what's his name's uh, is it Jesse Bradford who in, in Bring It On. Uh, like I don't know. He just like he's just like like he's wearing a Clash T-shirt and it's like oh okay, we know who he is now. Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> um that that sort of thing. And uh, so yeah, I, I thought of it a couple a couple years ago when I saw Juno. And then now I haven't seen Five Hundred Days of Summer, right? And you have, yeah. And um, but my girlfriend watched it the other day, and she was telling me about the scene. There's, I guess in the, uh, I, I'm, I'm like embarrassed for the screenwriter that I, like just describing this scene like okay. they're in an elevator and someone's listening to the smiths yeah and someone comments hey the smiths and they talk about the smiths and i would just i would have to i would want to leave the room i would be so embarrassed okay. i think if i saw that so i try I, I try not to judge movies i haven't seen but i it really made me not want to see if i've entertained now wh- why why is that specifically like what is it about that exchange that, that bothers you uh it it just seems like uh, either like a movie trying to be cooler, okay, or, or trying to trying to use uh, the fact of the Smiths and the fan the fan community of the Smiths as as sort of a uh, just a free ticket to credibility. Uh, credibility. That's okay. That's an interesting way of, of phrasing that because I'd say, yeah, it is kind of as you mentioned. Um, uh, it's kind of a shorthand where there are certain things that not everyone is into, but enough people are into it. And those kinds of people, and I don't mean to say that in a derogatory way, but the people that are into a certain type of thing, it's kind of niche. And so, and those people usually are a certain kind of way. Like people who like the Smiths are usually kind of, not necessarily hipsters, because that has kind of a negative connotation these days, but they're usually kind of hip, kind of artistically minded, um, usually kind of independently minded, I would venture to say. Or Um, they're Latino. Or yes, that is also a thing, um, and so it is, it is a wonderful, fascinating thing. It sure is. I don't. Know, I, I imagine, given our listenership, I imagine a lot of them are Smiths fans. But if, yeah. if you're not, there's this phenomenon of uh, young Latinos. Uh, I guess I, I don't know. I guess in this part of the country, at least, mm-hmm. uh, being just really dedicated. Smith uh, Morrissey yeah. fans. Morrissey's the lead singer of the Smiths. I feel like I need to describe like. Lay everything out for the listener today for some reason. That's fine, you know. Uh, but people know who the Smiths are for yeah. the most part. Comedian Matt Bronger has a very solid bit about uh, Hispanics or uh, liking the Smiths uh-huh. and uh, the way in which they defend Morrissey. <laughs> yeah, and his, uh, yeah, don't. Yeah. That, that's... But um, but yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, when you brought when you first brought this this uh, topic up to me, um, I remember just thinking like, oh my gosh, I can't. What? I, I can't talk about this. I don't even know uh, how to describe it. I, mm-hmm. I I can't even sum it up easily. I you know mo- some of our topics can just be summed up like okay, uh, awesome movie deaths, the Hayes Code. You know, just a few words. This one, I mean, we we settled on fandom in films. Yeah. But that that's almost too reductive. Like we couldn't because it's it's more than just that. And uh, and so when I was looking at it's the more specific it gets, mm-hmm. the tougher it is. You know, if you look yeah. at like uh, Detroit Rock City, you know, yeah. the, the Kiss fans, <laughs> but so many people are Kiss fans that you can, you know, you don't have to like 
the screener doesn't have to be super specific about like this is what a Kiss fan would be like. Right, right. You know, uh, go on. Sorry. Well, it's it's interesting. It really got me thinking of basically how fans are depicted, and I wound up actually with a lot of uh, TV uh, instances. I, I wrote examples that. Uh, in which they do it right, and examples in which they don't. Uh-huh. Uh, and one of them uh, that I'll bring up is from a movie that, admittedly, I did not see. Okay. But it does play very prominently in the trailer. Uh, I will not see this film. Okay. It's called Old Dogs. <laughs> now, um, in the trailer, uh, Matt Dillon plays like this uh, really butch, crazy, militant uh He's. I've, I think he's like head of a troop or something like that, like a Boy Scout troop or something. Um, Matt Dillon is in Old Dog. Yeah, yeah, he is. And uh, that's sad. I like him. And so basically, he uh, and then Robin Williams and John Travolta. By the way, sidebar. Okay. Yeah. I was per- at, open parentheses. <laughs> I was at. Um, no, don't do that because I'll forget to close. Okay. It. Scratch the parentheses. There's no parentheses. Okay. Of any, of any I'll just close it now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was at uh, eating at a. Cuban restaurant called Versailles. Okay. Uh, very good stuff. Um, with my girlfriend. And at the table next, the table's very close together there. And there was this, I could not figure out the dynamic of the, the two people sitting next to me. It was a guy, probably in his 50s. Okay. But in good shape. Okay. Um, wearing a Hawaiian t-shirt. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, a woman who was probably about our age. Okay. Mid to late 20s. Yeah. I don't think they were on a date. Because actually, she was talking about her boyfriend, so I'm pretty sure they weren't on it. Okay, father and daughter, perhaps? No. Oh, okay. Because they didn't know each other very well. I don't know how this happened, but uh, estranged father and daughter? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Oh man, now I'm writing a whole story in my head <laughs> where these people have been estranged for decades. They get mm-hmm. together, and this guy can't stop talking about how he's friends with Matt Dillon. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie and I barely talked to each other because we were both just eating and listening in on this ridiculous <laughs> conversation of this guy. I don't know if he's trying to impress this this woman or what, yeah. but it was literally at least 25 minutes on his friendship with Matt Dillon. Jeez. <laughs> don't get me wrong. It's impressive. Good for that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, ah, that's very that's that's very specific. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's one of those spe- specific things. It's like, well, he must, because w- w- who would pick Matt Dillon? <laughs> right. Um, but anyway, uh, in Old Dog, so Matt Dillon plays this uh, this very scary, kind of almost roided out kind of guy as far as his attitude. <laughs> I keep thinking about it because it would like it would like go away, you know. Okay. And then she'd be like, she'd be like, she'd be like I like this restaurant. And he'd be like, Yeah, you know, I brought Matt here once. <laughs> <laughs> It was great. I wouldn't be surprised if it's on that guy's resume. <laughs> yeah. um, All right. I'm sorry. Go on about old dogs. <laughs> I'm bringing this up as a negative example, okay. by the way. So there's a scene where where Matt Dillon and several other people are tr- are like uh, sort of bullying uh, John Travolta and Robin Williams to play uh, a little ultimate frisbee. And just, it's like, hey, what say we play a little ultimate Frisbee? And then you play it, and it's just like this, the most, like, brutal, horrible thing, as if they just said, hey, why don't we, why don't we just kick your guy's ass for a while? It just, literally, it was just, like, really intense and crazy. And But hippies play ultimate Frisbee. Yeah, okay. Okay. Is I, that so, a joke? I don't think so. I literally I I have a lot of friends who play ultimate frisbee and uh don't get me wrong, they have an intense love of it. It's frustrating to me. Uh there's like, you know, it's the only th- it's the only sport that doesn't have like an official like official rules, but everyone just uh you know, everyone's very gentlemanly about it. Everyone just agrees upon these things and it's like, yeah, okay, that's fine. That's very hippie like. Yes, exactly. But um Ugh. And, and, and you know, people can get hurt, but when they do, everyone's like, oh, no, let's stop. Let's stop and do this. And, you know, I've, I've watched my friends play it, and, uh, and it looks perfectly fine. They invite me to play, and I say no. But, um, <laughs> but nonetheless, it certainly is not the, like, XFL, which is clearly the way it's depicted in the film. It's, it sounds like the writer, like, heard the term Ultimate Frisbee yeah. and then just decided what it was yeah he he probably has friends he's heard the term the 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 term the word he's got ultimate like a nephew or something exactly 
the word ultimate played into it and he thought like, oh, okay, so it must be like really hardcore. Right. So let's do this. And so like it it just when you get specific like that, if you like, if you haven't done the research, it will just. Re- I don't even play Ultimate Frisbee, but I know enough people that do that. I realize this guy, Matt Dillon's character, he would have been kicked out of the league, you know, <laughs> and just. And so it's it's stuff like that that really fascinated me when when a writer either like shoehorns in something that they love, but the characters wouldn't. Or they shoehorn in something that people they've heard people like somewhere, and uh, they just can't sell it. Uh-huh. Um, I had another example from years ago when you and I were watching Sports Night. Uh-huh. Um, Aaron Sorkin's going to pop up a couple of times, by the way. Um, okay. Your best friend, Aaron Sorkin. Um, and I remember on Sports Night, which admittedly is not uh, not the best. Uh, like you don't stand. It's not by the that. best of his. Right. It's 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 if in you're between, into him. It's worth watching. Yeah, yeah. You, there's a lot of good stuff in it. Yeah. But yeah, it's not he's not at the top of his game. There's a and I remember there was a scene where I think it was uh, I don't remember which character uh was really into Tom Waits. Josh Charles. Josh Charles wanted to go to the Tom Waits concert cuz Tom Waits never plays clubs. Okay. Now. And uh and I remember at the time I it just didn't feel right to me. I'm like he doesn't seem like a Tom Waits fan. And you said, "Well, who does?" I'm like, "Uh well, I guess me." But I don't know I couldn't I couldn't put my finger on why it didn't seem right to me. And in thinking back, I, now I know, uh-huh. which is, first off, Tom Waits never plays clubs. You know why? Because Tom Waits never plays anything. Uh-huh. He tours every, like, five years. And when he does, he doesn't play cl- play clubs because he's considerate enough to realize, I need to try to accommodate as many people right. as I can. So he would play a large theater. So that's one thing. And if you, if you were a true Tom Waits fan, you wouldn't specify the club thing. You would say, he never tours. Right. So that's one thing. And then later on, um, Josh Charles says, like, in a few hours, I'm going to be in gravelly-voiced heaven. Okay. As a Tom Waits fan, I know that he does not like being specifically described as gravelly-voiced, as if that is the primary distinction Uh between him and other singers. He has stated that. And for a fan who loves Tom Waits to describe him as that and only that, uh-huh. it's like ah, a fan wouldn't do that, but someone who has a general idea of Tom Waits would describe him that way. And so, like, if I w- I've been to a Tom Waits concert in Chicago, and I was so excited that day, but at no point would I have now, said, what, "Was that at a club?" No, it was at a large theater. Well, then I think Aaron Sorkin was right. Tom Waits does not play clubs. Well, I guess that is true based yes. on anecdotal evidence. <laughs> but um. But it's just one of those things where, you know, it's uh, it it is almost like saying it's like, oh, I'm so excited to go see Bob Dylan in a few hours. I'm going to be basking in folksy glory. It's just like, <laughs> really, is that the defining characteristic? And don't get me wrong, Tom Waits has a gravelly voice, but like the reviews in which people tend to put him in a box, it, that's the first thing they jump on is they describe uh-huh. his voice, and it's just like, yeah, but his voice is right for the songs, and so you if you're a fan, you don't really focus on that. You just focus on the type of music he plays. Now, I don't want to turn this too much into into a Tom Waits thing, but because because the the writer was speaking to something that I specifically knew about, uh-huh. it, it it rang false. It really right. rang like, oh, Aaron Sorkin is aware of a f- relatively obscure artist. He's not obscure, but some people just don't really know who he is. Right. Um, yeah, a relatively obscure artist named Tom Waits. He has friends who likes him, who like him, and maybe he likes him a little bit. But he doesn't. He did not do the proper research to write for somebody who loves him, right? Because the, the, it's almost cult like the way people follow him, and I'm one of them. But I will, I will say that it's not out of the realm, realm of possibility that the character that Josh Charles plays would be a Tom Waits fan <laughs> in real life. He, no, no, that's that's. I mean, fine. You said he doesn't strike you as a Tom Waits fan, but I you haven't seen everything. Yeah, it's yeah. He's it has he, le- he could be a Tom Waits. Fan. In in retrospect, it has nothing to do with the character. Like I was wrong to to right. characterize him like that, to say it that that way at that time. Since then, I realized the reason he doesn't seem like one is because of the way he's describing it. Um, not it has nothing to do with his profession, the way he dresses, or anything like that. Um, it was just the way it didn't ring true. Um. Do you, I've got a whole bunch of notes, and even though this is your topic, and I said you were going to lead it, uh, 
I, You're I, on a roll. I don't want to step on your toes, so go right no, ahead. Well, yeah, you well, got the notes all up here in your head. Sure. Um, well, I wanted to talk about... Uh, we can talk about TV a lot. Um, uh, you clearly have more TV examples. I got a couple. Uh, but I want to talk about... When someone... If a, if a writer really does know the topic mm-hmm. and doesn't have the ego of wanting to show off how much he or she knows it, right. it can actually be used really well. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking specifically of the episode of Freaks and Geeks okay. where James Franco decides to try out being a punk rocker. Okay. And that was that whole that whole storyline and everything was written by someone who really knows uh their punk from that era okay. from early eighties and before. Um but it's never show offy. It mm-hmm. it fits it's it's the writer he or she used his or her knowledge. I don't know who wrote that episode. Mm. I don't have it in front of me because we're st- still waiting for Maurice Marsh's page to finish lo- <laughs> loading. Um, uh, but the writer used his or her knowledge to uh, to really flesh out the episode, mm-hmm. and that's so. I mean, I feel like, I feel like we're gonna do. We already have done a lot of bitching about this, but it's not necessarily a bad thing when it's used when the ego is taken out of it. And the knowledge is actually there. Well, and the, I think I think the way to the way to really sell it now in, in that I've not seen that episode, but it sounds as if they're calling attention to it because the character himself is calling attention uh-huh. to it. If they if they take their cues from from the character, then they won't try to force it so much. I think um, you know. For example, uh, I have another TV example that. Uh, that does it well, which is Seinfeld and any kind of Superman or Batman knowledge he throws out there. Uh-huh. Like, for example, George Costanza making reference to Jerry's girlfriend, and he goes, she's a Two-Face. And, <laughs> uh, but that's just a phrase that he's using. And then Jerry says, like the Batman villain? <laughs> and then George says, if that helps you <laughs> and just it's just done first off it's done very playfully uh-huh. but also it's just of course like it just does such a good job of establishing jerry as such a childlike person in his uh you know or immature person in his like um sensibilities that of course the term two-face his his mind would immediately jump to the batman villain and and the response is proper, which is just like, yeah, sure, if that's what it needs to be for you, you know. And uh, and so it's just it's done as just a foregone conclusion that they use to play for laughs, but without going too far out of their way yeah. to be like, well, oh, because I know about Batman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that case is easy because the person writing it is the character. Uh, that's like, not true. only the actor; he's the character. <laughs> he's just true, yeah. writing something he would say. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk. But I, I, I've used in, in my la- I used the word ego okay. uh, a second ago. And I want to talk about one of the most egregious examples of this oh. in cinematic history. And it was just a few years ago, maybe five years ago at this point. Okay. Uh, do you hear the phrase, uh, oh, what is it? Uh, the, the shins will change your life <sighs> from... Uh, Garden State? Yeah. Well, what's it called? Garden State. Yeah. Um, that is... That that's that is the, the probably the root, you know. I, like I, mm-hmm. I cited Juno as as the uh, kicking off point for 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 my uh, my thing about this, but that was really the blossom. The seed was planted, <laughs> okay, uh, in in Garden State, and I like this flowery language, David. <laughs> um, and uh, just and I just to this day I wonder is if Zach Braff really thinks that he introduced the world to the shins mm-hmm. introduced the shins to the world uh it was the the success they had they were going to have anyway yeah they they're were perfectly good band they were getting there oh yeah and the new um uh what's it called broken blossoms the guy james mercer from the shins has a side project now i think it's called broken blossom no it's not broken broken bells uh, it's two b's it's really good you should mm-hmm. check it out anyway okay um, will it change my life, David? I've heard that it no, will. It it won't. Oh, okay. <laughs> no. Can you think of any music that has changed your life, like just by, just by slipping on a pair of headphones, you know, and just like hearing it once and change, uh, did, like did, changed and, my life or changed my taste in music? 
But I mean, just like that. Do you, do you actually have? Is there ever like a scales fall from your eyes moment? <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Tom Waits was kind of like that for me. <laughs> really? Um, when I first when I first heard it, it was at the end of the film Smoke. When I was a, I was uh. very young. My parents had rented it. And I watched it, and it was just, I'd never heard anything like this before. But then a few years later, I saw him on Letterman, and I was like, I gotta get this guy. He was doing Chocolate Jesus, right? He was doing Chocolate Jesus. Yeah. And I was like, I've gotta get more of this. Uh-huh. Uh, just because I hadn't heard anything like that. But at the same time, yeah, he's my favorite musical artist. Wouldn't go so far as to say he changed my whole life. Right. He got me, I tell you this, he got my attention. Um, if it, but if the, if someone says the shins will get your attention, somehow it's just not the same. Uh, and and um, it's just so cocky. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it it seems to me that that Zach Braff thinks he knows about something that nobody else knows about, which yeah. is so not true. Yeah. Uh, but that, anyway, oh, I'm not going to go into the history of the shins, because um, <laughs> then I'll be the one talking about stuff I don't actually really know about. Okay. Um, but they were already on their way. And it just—it's so egregious and so crammed in there. Mm-hmm. And I—I want to give a good example, actually, okay. to back this up or, or to, to 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 play off of this. Um, the um, the OC and Gossip Girl. Okay. Uh, I mean the OC. The the soundtracks were very popular. Um, and uh, of course, I've had that Phantom Planet song as the. Oh yeah. Uh, and and then it, it was. The show was notorious for slipping in music, you know, and mm-hmm. like uh character was really into Death Cab for Cutie and and stuff like that, and uh, that really seems like this, you know, Josh Schwartz and his team, like people who know good music, but mm-hmm. they're storytellers first, and they're they're just slipping it in there. They're, it's not, yeah, that's the difference. Here we go. Okay, they're slipping it in, whereas. Zach Braff was cramming it in, wedging it in. Nice, you know. Uh, and he does the, the that team. I want, don't want to just say he; it's that team. Yeah. Uh, his music supervisor, um, can't remember her name, uh, does it on Gossip Girl as well. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of good stuff. That does seem like a. It's very rarely the characters talking about it. Yeah. You know, except for like the Rufus character on Gossip Girl talks about Sonic Youth a lot, but that's yeah within his character. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, other times they just sort of they just slip it in and it's playing usually at the end of the episode they're like uh, you know this episode featured music by blank and blank you know mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's it's not egregious it's not calling attention to itself yeah. it's just it, like hey we're making a good show why not uh, you know it's the kind of show that would have pop music as opposed to a score you know and I well, don't have WG Snuffy Walden in here <laughs> writing our, our score for us every week uh, if we're going to use pop music why not use good good stuff yeah and, and also in not calling attention to it, it's just part of their world, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to look at this world. Uh-huh. It's just, you know, if, if the characters truly love something, then it's just always there. It's just like, uh, just, it's almost ambient noise. It's at this point because it's just part of the world that they inhabit. So why would they call attention to it? Except to say, Hey viewers, what do you think of this? Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, um, I remember back when you and I were going to school, uh, you know, I I made a couple of films in which I had to incorporate uh, some music. And there was one in which uh, there's these characters in a bar and they're talking and uh, it takes place at Christmas. So the song that's playing, you know, in the bar is Feliz Navidad. It's playing in the background. And then uh, a character walks over to a jukebox uh, which was faked beautifully through uh, the magic of uh, a green light off screen um, uh, showing in the character's face and uh, and sound effects. It was really, uh, I, lo- I love school. Anyway, um, <laughs> but the, uh, so the character puts a quarter in the jukebox and then he pulls up a song that I loved and still love by a band that I love. But I will say this, there is no possible way that this song would ever be on any jukebox quite possibly ever, both in space or time. Um, and it's uh, a band called the Mississippi Sheiks. Uh-huh. It's an old Delta blues band. And uh-huh. the song, which is admittedly, the song has been covered by uh, more popular artists as time has gone on. The song is called Sitting on Top of the World. And it's a great song. Okay. And it's been covered by a bunch of people. Uh, it was covered by uh, Jack White in um, Cold Mountain. Oh, okay. And so... 
but though if if anything let's let's give myself the man for the doubt and say let's say that song was on a jukebox it would not be by the mississippi sheiks right um and so but it's a song that i loved and i just for some reason wanted to incorporate it because it evokes a certain mood that i was trying to evoke and that's that's fine except it wouldn't be on the jukebox and i don't know if the character that i had created in in the context of the film i don't know if he would like it right um not not to put myself above the character or anything like that i just i don't know if he would have the musical taste that i do um and so but it's a it, i was using it to evoke an emotion but also it's just a song i happened to love a lot at the time uh-huh. and so so it's weird so i i part of me is in the use of music that may not fit the world that the characters live in and maybe calling attention to it. I, I do have a little bit of sympathy, but, but not so much that I'm willing to excuse them. In fact, I'm, I'm much more willing to look back and be like, that was a bad choice on my part uh, to put that <laughs> song in. Um, but sometimes I feel like maybe it's just used to evoke a mood. Um, but then if it is used for that point, probably not best to be like, Hey everybody, this musical changed your life by the soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe that was just a merchandising thing. <laughs> it's a, the soundtrack sold very well. Oh, it, very much so. Um, you okay there? Yeah, just gritting my teeth about Garden State. I'm and sorry. Everything it represents. I remember I liked it. I, I liked it at the time. I mean, we we own it. There's a couple things that I really. There's a few performances that I really love. I say this. I did not hate it as much as I was prepared to. That's maybe true. someday I'll feel the same way about 500 Days of Summer. But as, as of right now, I am prepared to despise it. Okay, here's the thing. I will say this. I didn't I, I didn't love the movie. I did not hate the movie. Now, on the on our uh, YouTube channel, BP Video 1000 on YouTube. Um, 1000. 1000, because uh, I think I made that joke already. I'm not going to say it again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, do, I, I did call it the most pretentious film of 2009. <laughs> Admittedly, I hadn't seen a lot of movies. Um, but I, I, I considered it that because I think it was trying to transcend its genre. Um, that said, there are a few se- a few sequences in the film that I consider to be uh, borderline genius oh, just okay. in, in its execution. And in, in one specific case, uh, the concept is so brilliant and perfect. Uh, and that's enough to keep the movie at a solid two and a half out of four stars for me. Okay. And it probably would not drop below that. And I think you would appreciate those sequences as well. Okay, oh, it's it's in my Netflix queue, but it's not not high up top. there. Yeah. Plus, I have a million movies. Exactly. In my, anyway, um, did uh, you want to bring well, up anything else? Well, yeah, I was going to say we've talked about the good, we talked about the bad. We did a long episode last week. Was there anything else on your list you really wanted to get to? There's so many, David. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's but I'll I'll, uh, I'll just uh, throw out a few. Uh, one, uh, two movies that uh, tackle a similar subject. Um, and I think really show, but and calls attention to it on a regular basis um, is American Splendor and Ghost World, and that is the subject of jazz, jazz uh-huh. and blues. Um, these are characters for whom it is a hobby, and not even so much a hobby as it is like an, an obsession. Um, they really uh, see more in Ghost World, and then uh, several characters in American Splendor. They just love jazz. And they they get very specific about jazz and old blues and stuff like that. They bring up, you know, like Blind Lemon Jefferson and stuff like that. And, like, you don't bring that up unless you really know. But, again, given who these characters are, it absolutely makes sense. It does. Because... I, can remember in, I actually just watched Ghost World again the other night. Mm-hmm. Uh, hadn't seen it since it was, like, new to DVD. Yeah. And uh, she asked him what his like top five favorite interests are yeah. <laughs> he's like i'd say traditional delta blues first yeah ragtime then <laughs> let's just say music <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, and it's man that movie go ahead just to, a little bit of a of a of a tangent here but mm-hmm. um i've seen that movie twice now yeah so when it first came out and i watched it again the other day and um as much as i feel like i i know enid like I know who that is. I know people like that. Oh, yeah. I went to high school with people like that. Yeah. She's never the character that I identify with. Mm-hmm. When I first watched it, I identified with Rebecca Scarlett Johansson's character. Yeah. Because she wanted to act like a grown up, get a job, right. get an apartment, move into the next stage of her life. Right. This time I watched it, I identified more with Seymour, and I found that a little creepy. 
a little, I was a little upset with myself, but I'm not I'm not fresh out of high school anymore. Yeah. Uh we're I'm, not even fresh out of college anymore, David. Yeah. It's been uh, five years. Six now. Yeah. Uh oh jeez. Yeah, I'm getting to identify more with Seymour. He's a guy with a very specific interest. He's yeah. in in certain types of culture. Uh but he has a day job. Yeah. You know, and a nine to fiver. Yeah. Uh it's scary. It was a little upsetting. <laughs> but now, but David, you're better with he, the ladies. I'll say that. You got yourself a girlfriend. L- lovely girlfriend. Lovely girlfriend. I can't say that. You, you have to say that. You can say that. Okay. She's very hot. <laughs> Watch it. Okay. Um, <laughs> and also, I just want to mention my my favorite part in uh, in Ghost World, which is all due to Steve Buscemi's delivery. Mm-hmm. When Enid is complaining about the guys her age who are all into either guitars or sports, yeah. and he goes, I hate sports. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just, well, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I that 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 movie really does not get talked about enough because it, depending on where you are in your life, in front of the show, Pat Healy is in it. By the way, he sure is. That's yeah. right. I forgot. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, there are three characters that, depending on where you are in your life, you can identify with. Right out of high school, probably Enid, mm, or like, still in high school, or still in high school, probably Enid. If I had seen it when I was in high school, I would totally be on Enid's side. Yeah, and then probably, but it wasn't that one. Eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Rebecca, uh-huh. and then late, probably late twenties, early th- late twenties through the end, probably Seymour. <laughs> uh, it's it's really a film that I haven't seen it in years, and I feel like because uh, I I feel like I do relate to to Enid, but I I have a feeling that if I were to watch it now, I might get a strong Seymour vibe, if for no other reason than because he's right about that music; it's great. <laughs> um, but uh, but at the same time, you know, an American Splendor. The character do- is a jazz critic, among other things, and so he's just obsessed with with this sort of thing. And so the way the film doesn't necessarily shoehorn it in, but if it did, um, I, it it talks about it, but it doesn't shoehorn it in because it's a it's a huge part of the character's life, and so it probably could have talked about jazz more, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't have seemed out of place. But uh, as of right now, it just kind of touches on it a little bit. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's wonderful. And, and also just in general, I, I love those movies because they did introduce me to, you know, like, uh, like Jay McShann. I hadn't heard of him until, uh, I don't know who that is. He's a jazz musician who's awesome. Uh, and I hadn't heard of him before American Splendor. Um, I will say a couple, just a couple more things. Uh, if Aaron Sorkin, I think does this a little wrong at times, Jen and I were just watching an episode of season four of the West Wing in which Josh has to deal with a Trekkie. Uh-huh. And the absolute contempt that he shows for somebody who takes more than a passing interest in anything, uh, and the way that he sa- he make differentiates between fan and fetish, uh, showed such as I said such a contempt that it's just it's like yeah, and I'm sure you have something, but because it's not you know, but because it's yours, I'm sure it's just you being hey, just a fan. You know, yeah. uh, that's pure hearsay on my part, but I'm willing to say that everybody loves something that much, as much as like Trekkies love it, Star Trek. It, it, if if you don't, you should. You're, yeah, you're dead inside if you don't. Well, all right. <laughs> Jeez, hang on now. Now I gotta. I'm scrambling to think of something. Um, um, but but then there's on the opposite. There's there's too many things I love that much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you really got to sh- shed some of these things. Um, so that, so if Aaron Sorkin, I think does it a little wrong and please not all say a little wrong because I do recognize that he's really good at, uh, character work and stuff like that. Um, I think Kevin Smith does it pretty right. Uh He's now uh, admittedly he writes what he knows and he writes characters that know what he knows. And, uh, and it it, probably, it's best exemplified in clerks where yeah. it's these characters just talking about, they talk about Star Wars, they talk about minutia, because, and it's it never seems, sh- you know, shoehorned in there because these are, you know... These are the type of people who... Obsess about that kind of thing. It and, would be into Star Wars. The, I think I made this complaint on the show before mm-hmm. about Zack and Miri make a porno. Okay. Um, where they are also uh, really into to Star Wars. Mm. Um, now... Between Clerks and Zack and Miri, that's close to 15 years. Yeah, yeah. These characters 
or it seems like because you know, you've, did you ever see it? See Zack and Mary? No. Yeah, it's you can watch the first twenty to thirty minutes of it, and then you've seen all the funny stuff. Okay. Um. But once they decide to make a por- porno, it's a Star Wars porno, you know, and it just these these characters. He, he's he's not he's writing the same age characters as clerks, but they're still acting like they're they were born when he was born. Yeah, uh, it would have made more sense, I think, given Seth Rogen's age, that they do like a, a Back to the Future uh, yeah. porn or something like that. That would make a lot more sense. Well, and it's. And it's interesting because in Clerks 2, um, which is not very good, but uh, he at least acknowledges the fact that, yeah, in between Clerks and Clerks 2 and certainly Zack and Mary, uh, three more Star Wars movies have been released uh-huh. that are much worse. And there's an entire generation of people for whom Star Wars means these two, these three subpar films between 99 and 2005. Right. And so, um, so, yeah, to have characters... When did Zack and Mary come out? Last year? Two years ago? Uh, oh, eight. Oh, eight. Yeah. Okay. So to have characters who love the original Star Wars that much, don't get me wrong, uh, Seth Rogen is our age, David, and yeah. we grew up watching Star Wars, but I don't know, for them to try to make a, a Star Wars porn, just it, it does seem like Kevin Smith is kind of shoehorning it in a little bit. Yeah. Whereas in uh, Clerks 2, he had the... He had the the foresight to actually acknowledge that yeah, there's a new there's a new trilogy now, and it's the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and people are nerdy about that. Um, and it's the Lord of the Rings trilogy is better than the original Star Wars trilogy. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I'm just definitely going to make some people mad, but um, because it's just all one good movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, the first three Star Wars movies are all completely different movies. You know. Yeah. The first two are great for very yeah. different reasons, and the third one is not that good, I think. Third one, it has elements that are a little cutesy, like the Ewoks and stuff, but the 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 central relationships are still there and still handled very, yeah. very well. That's true. And um, the third one has some awesome just action sequences. Oh, yeah. The, the Sarlacc Pit. The Sarlacc Pit, the Rancor. The, the uh, what are those like hover bike things in the... Yeah, uh, the land speeders or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Like the little... Oh, yeah. Uh, that part is awesome. It's pretty sweet. Yeah. I want to um, watch that again. Huh? I want to watch that again now. Let's do it. <laughs> Let's stop this thing. Oh, but before we stop it, I did want to uh, uh, bring up one last thing, okay. which is from a film that uh, nobody is claiming to be good, but uh, it's from uh, I Love You, Beth Cooper, uh-huh. which hand, there's a uh, star, starring friend of the show, Paul Rust, um, but his character's best friend is a movie guy. Uh-huh. So, of course, that instantly gets my attention because I'm a movie guy. But it's the way in which he's a movie guy that's just like, Bah, is this how people see me? This is terrible. Because it's one of those things where they show that, oh, well, we will show that this character, and admittedly, he's in high school, so one could say that he's, you know, he's a little more immature. Not too, For those that are in high school, I'm not calling you immature. I'm saying you're probably a bit more, not immature in a behavioral sense, but you're younger than... Someone in their mid twenties, but um, but they, they haven't seen as much. You haven't seen as much, but also just you haven't the, lived as much. The way in which you you haven't been in the shit the way that Tyler and I have. We're we're kind of bringing them in though, I think, <laughs> with this show. Um, but either way, just the way in which you express your love of something uh, has not fully developed, just as mine hadn't when I was in high school. And so the character, basically, the way he shows his love of film is to throw out a, a random quote from a classic film that other people his own age had not seen and then gets mildly frustrated that they ha- that they don't know the reference. Uh-huh. Now, to a certain extent, I-, I could see that. Like, But at the same time, like, even in high school, even I knew that no one my age was seeing True Grit. Uh-huh. All right? He throws out a True Grit reference. Have you seen True Grit? No, I never Okay. Know. Well, there's a part where John Wayne I takes... I see more Westerns. What was that? I gotta see more Westerns. And we gotta do a show on Westerns, so I've heard from everybody who listens. Yeah, there's a reason we haven't. There's a reason we haven't, everybody, and we'll get there. Don't you worry. I hope. We'll get... Someday. <laughs> um, but the uh, there's a, a scene where John Wayne takes the, the reins of a horse into his mouth, and he has... So that he his hands are free to care, hold two guns. Um, it's pretty badass. Yeah, and, and so... 
this, and he's, this predates John Woo. And it, yes, yes. And there's and there's doves all over the place. <laughs> but um but anyway, and so and then he delivers a line with the reins in his teeth. So the character like uh in I Love You Beth Cooper like puts something that looks like reins in his teeth and like screams something out and it's and he's like, True grit, haven't seen haven't you seen True Grit? No, of course they haven't. They're seventeen. <laughs> Come on. I didn't see it until I was twenty five. And it's just like it's stuff like that where it's like is this really what you think? I mean, I, I have no doubt that whoever wrote it, you know, knows films. But is this really how you write somebody who loves films? Just someone who just throws out a random quote. This is how you prove that they know something. They just throw out something. Ran- they just shoehorn something random in there. And then they get frustrated when no one else knows about it. Like, I don't know. It just it rang very false because even though the character is in high school and and the character's kind of uh, sort of socially awkward. Uh-huh. Um like I was socially aw- awkward in high school. You almost and, said socially awesome. Well, I am that now. <laughs> I am socially awesome. I was socially awkward, and uh, and even I had the foresight to realize, yeah, I can't keep making these references, uh, you know. And certainly, I wouldn't make line references. And so it just so that one, the ones that really hit me the most are the ones that have to do with me, like Tom Waits fans, yeah, movie guys, stuff. You know like which that. one? Speaking of movie people in in movies. Um, you know which one should, by all rights, bug the hell out of me, but I love it because it f- just fits the movie. Okay. Is uh, the scene early on in Scream 2 when they're in the film appreciation class mm-hmm. and they're in a discussion about which sequels are better than the original. Oh, yeah, yeah. I love that scene, even though it's so clearly just Kevin Williamson, like, winking and being, you know, he's making a point about sequels. Yeah. Uh, but that's, it just so fits into the tone of those those movies. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And excited for Scream 4? No, no, neither am I. What? Why would I be? I saw Scream Three. Yeah, it was. Oh, that was so bad. I mean, it just put such a wonderful cap on the series. I mean, where else can it go? No, that's not what I meant. No, nah, that's not what I meant either. I was making a joke. But um, oh, I hated Scream Three. Yeah, I didn't care for it because I liked I liked the first two, and I still do. Mm-hmm. And I and I and it's like I felt like I had to defend them to people sometimes, yeah. you know, because anytime something's that popular, right? Uh, so I would defend the Scream movies, and then the third one came out, and I'd be like, oh, "Not doing me, you know, not doing me any favors here, Scream franchise." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that one always bothered me because just like, oh, uh, spoilers. By the way, uh, for I don't, I'm not mad at you for uh, saying I should spoil things. I'm mad about what I'm about to say. So spoilers for Scream Three. The way I remember when it was advertised, it's just like, hey. When the third one comes along, all bets are off. Anyone can die, but they don't. All the main care, and then in the trailers, they made it look like, oh man, Dewey's gonna die. All everyone's gonna die, uh-huh. and uh, no one died. Everybody well, who had been Cotton Weary, Cotton died. Weary died, but he was did not play that big of a role in the in the second one. Really, he kind of popped up from time to time and then played a big role at the end. But um, but aside from him, as far as like the big three. They they all stuck around. Yeah, they even they, call a character with a name as great as Cotton Weary. I know. It's probably one of my favorite names in cinema history. <laughs> That's our topic next week. Is uh, just great names. That's not bad, actually. <laughs> um, all right, so uh, David, I, I enjoyed this discussion quite Me a bit. Me too. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I hope we you talk, enjoy- we talk about television almost as much as as film, but uh, that's fine. That's okay. Stuff like this, I'm okay with talking about TV. <clears throat> so. Um, uh, so you know all about the donation drive. I'm right. not going to bore you to tears again with that. Right. But uh, there's, uh, like, as as we said, there's some awesome stuff coming up. But if you want to get a hold of us, mm. uh, ask us questions, um, uh, insult us. That's an option? Yeah. <laughs> you, you can do that. Uh, you can email us at either david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleshipretention.com. Uh, that's our website, battleshipretention.com. We are in iTunes, where it would be great if you subscribed to us and wrote us a review. That would really help. A nice review, please. If, yeah, that's a, a review. If it's nice, icing on the cake. Um, <laughs> you can also find uh, me on Twitter uh, at twitter.com slash thepretension. Uh, you can find my other podcast, Previously On, which is a television podca- television-based uh, discussion podcast. Mm-hmm. Um uh, in iTunes under previously on you can find I mean I am not doing this very well this week it's fine you, can find the, the, you know what previously on previously on is what's throwing off your rhythm because that's a new addition yeah yeah 
And you can find Tyler's other podcast, More Than One Lesson, at morethanonelesson.com or in iTunes. And Tyler is, of course, on Twitter, twitter.com slash morelessons. Yes. Uh, and also, uh, just to remind everybody, we do have a new f- uh, forum slash message board, mm-hmm. uh, com, or you can just go to the website and click on... Yeah, just, n- go, just go to the website. Yeah, and go to new forum, and that'll take you right there. A lot of good discussions happening there, uh, so I would encourage you to do that. So uh, until next week, thanks everybody for listening, and uh, we'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.